Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, on the podcast today, we're 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 down uh, in the the Caribbean, uh, talking to folks uh, from uh, from a few different places, which is going to be fun. Uh, we've got uh, Sloan Fire. Uh, Gabrielle Torres and Kimberly Woolery on the show today. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Hi, hi, Ben. Hi, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, before I get started, I just want to just uh acknowledge that I'm producing and hosting this podcast on the territory of the Talaman, Homoko, Klehus, and Comox First Nations, uh, who were who were one nation before. We uh, settler colonizers came in and split them off into the so-called Indian reserves. Um, uh, I'm 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 living here on unceded land and uh, certainly uh, grateful to uh, to be able to to do this here. Um. So today, today's today, like I said, we're talking about the Caribbean. And I just wanted to take the time to thank you for acknowledging that about First Nations land. I think it's really important. I've heard you mm. say that before mm. on the podcast, and I, I know that that's a huge, like, hot topic. Well, not hot topic, but I just think it's important that you acknowledge that. And I appreciate that you acknowledge that every podcast mm. as well. Yeah, you know, I, I just went to, uh, and I mean, I'll even share it in the show notes, because I know territorial acknowledgements is, is not just something we do sort of in my neck of the woods, but you know, there's a certainly indigenous peoples all over the world and who have been affected by uh, colonization. Um, and, and I think territorial acknowledgements uh, do play a role in, in, a, in a lot of the communities. And I, I just went to a, a webinar, which I'll, I'll share the link to, it's on YouTube, uh, by a fellow named Len Pierre, who I've, I've mentioned before as well. He's an indigenous uh, consultant that my company CBI has been, contracted with to kind of work on truth and reconciliation type issues which um, um, the term kind of comes from uh, well I'll talk about that another time but um, uh, he did a really nice sort of explanation uh, of, uh, of sort of territorial acknowledgements kind of how you do them and how they're perceived and 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 sort of the different sort of kind of kind of levels of of territorial economics kind of sort of three stages. The one I just did today was kind of called the standard territorial acknowledgement. We just kind of acknowledge the the names of the lands and 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 you know and, and you know and you know and you know acknowledge that you're you're a settler or a colonist or whatnot. Uh, and then they kind of get more and more ex expansive as um, as um, you know, depending on the context and sort of just depending on, you know, you know, kind of, I guess, sort of spiritually kind of where you are and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, kind of what your gut instinct is telling you. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've done sort of all three levels throughout, throughout, but it, it was, it was a bit, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, I don't know, it was a bit of a relief, I guess, when uh, Len said, you know, I didn't have to do sort of a stage three, level three acknowledgement every single time I did one. And and uh, if, if you listen mm -hmm. to sort of consecutive episodes, you'll notice that some of them are quite similar. Some of them, you know, there's there's really no difference, um, you know, and, and because I haven't really done enough more enough research and work to sort of, you know, 
sort of have more ideas to share. And he said, so it's, 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 it's perfectly fine to do standard ones, um, you know, especially in sort of repeated type, type contexts. But the other side of the coin is they really talk about doing, you know, more in-depth ones whenever you do meetings sort of with people sort of outside of your organization. And so the podcast is sort of unique in that way since it's always people outside of the organization. So I'll still have to do some reflection kind of on that and kind of see how it goes. But uh, uh, it, it, uh, it's definitely, um, uh, it's, something, it's something new I've been doing and it's something that I, I uh, upon sort of some research that isn't normally done on podcasts. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, I think there are some indigenous podcasts that sort of do them themselves, but um, I'm hoping that this will sort of maybe encourage other folks who maybe host a podcast to think about doing the same. Um, I hope so too. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get started, we'll maybe get started with sort of some, some, some introductions um, uh, 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 kind of in terms of sort of, where you are, number one, I think is important. And, um, and then sort of, you know, how, how you kind of got into the field of ABA um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and kind of how that led up to the kind of work you're, you're doing now. And, and Sloan, why don't you go first? Thank you, Ben. Thank you for this opportunity. I am in the Cayman Islands, but mm. I trained in the U.S. Mm. with another one of our participants, Gabby. Mm. Um, I have been in Cayman since 2010. And I was working to start the first ABA services in, in the Cayman Islands. And I jumped on it and it was, it's been a really exciting venture. However, many years down the line now, um, ABA at that time was still in its infancy. And since then, there's been quite an explosion in the Cayman Islands. Uh, but it really did start start off small and, you know, built over time to be a priority of mine. Um, over the years, we've trained 17 individuals to become RBTs mm. and 13 of them are Caymanians, which are, is something that I'm really dedicated to because that's a sustainable situation where you're not bringing individuals in to mm provide services and then there's discontinuity when they yes. leave. And so I've been very dedicated to developing a quality uh, career path that mm. is sustainable for the Cayman Islands. The Wellness Center is the um, private wellness uh, provider that I work for and we have a clinical side as well as an EBA side. Recently, we've opened an adult skills center as well. So we service mm. individuals from 18 months to 30 plus. And now we're starting a behavioral gerontology center oh, wow. really as cool. well. So we're really looking, yeah, <laughs> we're really looking forward to just servicing anyone and everyone in the Cayman Islands. There's some barriers, which I think Gabby and Kim so thankfully, we were able to successfully advocate for that mm. in 2011, which opened a lot of doors. Gabrielle, tell me about uh, yourself. Where are you from and and uh, and uh, where you're working and kind of your story of getting into the field? Sure. So um, I am originally from the island of Curacao. I do live in the U.S. now. Um, mm. I went to graduate school with Sloan, so I moved here um, for college 
uh, could have was on my way to med school and read an email from a parent looking for a, a therapist for their home-based services for their child. And mm. that threw my life completely upside down. And I went uh, into the field of behavior analysis, worked, mm. um, worked there, went to grad school, met Sloan, um, continued working in the U.S. I owned and operated my own clinic here in the U.S. for 10 years mm. um, and would frequently go home. I mean, my whole family is in Curacao, still Curacao, and then the island next to Aruba. That's mm. where my family is. And so mm. I would, uh, as an American company had made its way to Curacao to consult and provide services, but it was the model you were describing, train the direct providers, but the behavior analyst is flying in and leaving. Mm. Um, I guess word got out that I was a behavior analyst and people started connecting with me and saying like, hey, we hear you're doing all these great things in the U.S. When are you going to help your own people? Um, and that's when I started uh kind of looking at what we could do on the island that was focused on capacity building so that when funds ran out, when someone decided they no longer wanted to travel to our islands, how could we still keep services going? Um, because there really was nothing. Um, we are, um, or at least we were back then under this model of like, oh, these these types of people, right? Like need to go into residential care and that's all there is. Like just mm. day programs, residential mm. care, no, no skills. Kind of, so we were setting... I think limits for people. Um, and so the groups that had kind of been exposed to ABA wanted more. There are parents who leave the island to go to the US, to other countries to seek services, right? And so um, we started thinking about what can we do locally. And so in 2017, um, I started a foundation there with um, parents, some of the people who had been trained as, they did never got their RBT because they didn't fly up to the US to take the tests, but they were trained basically to that level of, of direct service providing. Mm. And we started a foundation and our goal became um, awareness. So we've now been running that center for four years um, and the, my main goal, so I started a lot as kind of clinical advising and I was that, even though I'm from Curacao, I live in the U S so I was that external BCBA. And so my goal became, what is the training going to look like? Mm. Um, we ran into a little bit of a hiccup when the BACB stopped with the international credential and that, um, shifted us, but I'm now in the process of training six, um, people to become IBTs, international behavior therapists, mm. and then two are working towards their IBA international behavior analyst. Cool. Um, and I'm really excited. Yes. Because that just, that then allows them to continue right now. Once those IBAs are trained, they can keep training more people. Some mm. of the people who are in the IBT training right now are already looking forward to that next step of becoming behavior analysts. Mm. And so we're really excited. Um, and like Sloan, like just uh, going on that path to like find funding, make things affordable. I've been working with the schools. So doing a lot of advocacy and kind of trying to change policy so that the mm. schools will open up to us coming in as behavior analysts. And so um, it's where I've dedicated most of my work now. I do um, here in the U.S. I'm doing mentoring and, and coaching and some consulting for new BCBAs, clinical leaders, um, mm. clinic owners. And then I spend a lot of time um, in Curacao and, and also in other parts of the Caribbean providing that mentorship of, okay, there's nothing. How do we get, who do you talk to? How do you leverage what we know? Um, and just building building those career paths so that it could be sustainable um, back home and on other mm -hmm. islands. So, Really cool. I got a lot of questions, but I, I want to get the last introductions done because they, they, they really apply to everybody. Um, 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 so, Kimberly, I know you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit of a different. There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human expressions 
gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them, modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is compassion. Situation than, than the other two. So let, let, let's let's just hear your sort of where 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 you're where you're from, but also where you're working and kind of you know a little a little bit about sort of you know uh, um, kind of ABA in, in in that area. Sure. So I um I was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, and mm. I'm still in Kingston, Jamaica. I do go back and forth between Florida right now. I'm physically in Florida. Um, mm. In terms of getting into the field of behavioral analysis, that was not my end goal at all or my end game, so to speak. And mm. as I heard Sinon talking about gerontology, it kind of fits into a little bit about my story. Um, so my goal was to become a marriage and family therapist. Um, but when I had graduated from FIU, um, my dad got very sick. And so I made the decision to move back to Jamaica full time to support you know, my parents. And so it was kind of like the, the graduate school I had applied to like well you have to be on site to do this program on like like potential and other health issues um so i was like well what are my options like well you could do behavior analysis i'm like okay what does that mean (laughs) you can work with children with special needs and i was like okay that's all cool i tell people i fell into aba due to um the situation i was put in and i don't regret it Mm. i enjoyed the field um but because at the time there were no behavior analysts on the island, I had to seek out remote supervision. Um, there was also no centers on the island. So my training experience was through like an occupational therapist um, who unfortunately she closed down her clinic mm. and I was being supervised, I think, by four different people. Mm. And then that kind of spun off into my frustrations with trying to live with services on the island um, because unfortunately we do not have, you know, insurance reimbursing mm. any services. Um, and it's still more or less the same. Um, all services are private pay. And then mm. again, we have a huge economic disparity because um, I can't remember what our GDP is, but I will give you an example. Like one US dollar is equal to 150 Jamaican dollars. So if you try and translate the American model or Western model to the Jamaican dollar and what people are earning, it doesn't apply to, I would say, let's call it 90% of the population. And, yeah. and throwing out statistics here, and I had a lot of challenges even having um, parents being open to services, being open to me providing services, even though I was being supervised. Um, some parents, there's a lot of stigma against mental illness. I think we are moving towards the right direction in the sense that um, in terms of adults, and I would call it like my generation, we're more open about mental health, we're more open about seeking help. But in terms of um, autism, there's some kind of stigma um, and I would have parents who did not want to use the word or the diagnosis. Mm. Um, they would not want if I was to run a program and record um, 
record myself working. They did not want me to run a new program so that their child would not appear, um, so to speak. Um, they didn't want their child to appear like they were not as intellectually savvy as a, you know, a typical child. So mm. it was, again, lots of challenges. Even just getting hours, um, 10 hours was not feasible. The most I've ever seen is maybe six hours. And even then, um, it's US dollars an hour. That is expensive um, mm -hmm. for a lot of parents. So again, mm. it's only applicable or available to really, I would say, like maybe 2% of the population, which again, it can be very challenging. But in terms of yeah. what I'm doing now, I kind of fell into the telehealth world because mm. I had a lot of personal challenges delivering services on the island. Um, and um, and again, just having those doors open. I know Cayman has a little different situation. Jamaica, as I said, we have our economic challenges. In that, you know, we want country just have our challenges and lots of So again, segue to again because I was caring for my dad. Yeah, it's and um so that's what I do now. I currently provide telehealth services um for uh various companies. One is ABA Squad and another one is um well this is more a data collection software company called Motivity. Mm. And um but then this uh my frustration turned into um me deciding that I was gonna write this blog um for special mm. learning at the time mm. creative in terms of gaining hours because there wasn't enough face-to-face -face time. So I was working with special learning. I wrote this blog about the barriers in delivering behavior analytic services in the island. Mm. And my supervisor at the time encouraged me to um submit the paper to ABAI and mm. it was accepted. And mm. then I started to realize that even if I'm not providing services physically on the on the island, I can disseminate as practice and do research and tell people, or rather show people how you can provide culturally responsive services. What, how can you provide services for the diaspora? Because of course, Gabby is part of the diaspora from Curacao. I am part of the Jamaican diaspora, you know, in Florida. And there, I have encountered a lot of um, families that are from the diaspora. So mm. from that, you need to learn a culturally, lens, culturally sensitive lens and also just learning how to meet people where they are and knowing that one size does not fit all. I know mm. you've had a lot of people talk about culturally responsive services on this podcast before, but for me, that's, for me, my interest is disseminating um, best practices, um, conducting research, um, and hopefully submitting things into journals, mm. webinars as well. So the way I feel that I am doing my part is by disseminating information and kind of like trying to educate, I guess, the general BCC board, because again, Florida has a shift of those. So how do we, again, meet people where they are and again, not necessarily putting an agenda because um, obviously we want all kids to succeed, but, you know, there's some people that are from, you know, multi-generational homes. Mm -hmm. Some people, again, I came across another it was a caregiver, but the grandmother didn't know that the child is like had a diagnosis, a formal diagnosis. So it's it's again just learning to be culturally sensitive. So I guess that is my my background. Yeah, yeah no, no, for, for sure. sure. Cool. cool. And, and, and uh, you, you know, know, I think we I can, can certainly relate to the the, the dissemination sort of piece of, of your role. role. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm the, the same. same. I, mean, I, don't, I don't even work with cases anymore. I just, uh, I'm, I am disseminating a sort of 
a, a big, big part, part of my job, job now, too. too. Uh, and and uh, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely uh, I think we need, we need people, people in, in, all yes. these, in all these kind of aspects. So, um, uh, but also, I, uh, I know... Oh, for sure. I know um, I, I went to your... Uh, the, 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 the recent... Uh, uh, the webinar you did with Baba on, on telehealth, and yes, which was awesome. I mean, you, you, you definitely, definitely know your stuff, stuff. And, 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 and there's there's a lot to thank tele- you. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to telehealth that I think you know folks don't realize. I mean, I think there was a lot of folks kind of asking lots of questions about telehealth when kind of COVID hit, but telehealth was happening long before COVID, right? And will continue to happen. Sort of, sort oh, of yeah. long after, and 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 so you know, I think it you know, not only providing telehealth services is really important, but you know, helping people understand, you know, how to do all the things we've been talking about, talking about on the podcast through telehealth. It's it's, yeah. it's not the same as doing it in person. Um, no, yeah. it's not the same at all. It definitely has a different set of skill sets, but I think also one thing with doing telehealth that has allowed me to work with so many people mm. across the United States, so many different subcultures. Um, the West is very different from the Midwest, which is very different from the East. So, um, and then again, you get a whole conglomerate of different cultures and people and people who are like first generation um, and their children, you know, are born here, or maybe they were brought over here to again, seek services, mm. which is typically what I see um, a lot of they move to Canada to try and mm. say the home country because either it's not available or mm. the, the providers there are mm. just booked or it's too expensive. So mm. it's it's I find a lot of people tend to migrate for that purpose, for, for that stability and um, yeah, and for insurance coverage. But as you said, telehealth is is very, very different, but I find it very rewarding. So that and that and that kind of leads me to another question I was thinking about, uh, both kind of related to migrating and also related to your your comment on kind of working with the diaspora. Um, I'm curious if uh, you know and this question is kind of for both for both Gabrielle and Kimberly. Um, I think less so for Sloan because you're now kind of working primarily in the Caymans, you know, with 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 Cayman folks. Um, and, and um, whereas you know uh, Gabrielle and Kimberly are, are often out of town. Um, do you find um, do you find that you're primarily working with kind of the Jamaican diaspora? And do you find that you're kind of working with the Curacao diaspora, so to, so to speak? Or, 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 or are you sort of kind of kind of across the board? And then kind of related to that question, related to that question, I'm also just wondering about, 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 about the migration piece. Do you, do you find that, that there, there are people in some, in some of these other islands where there maybe aren't behavior analysts or there isn't the infrastructure of behavior analysis. If you find there is a lot of migration from, from these islands sort of to, to the, the places, places where you're now kind of providing services. Okay, so um, in my experience, um, particularly, in South, particularly in South Florida, I have seen a huge Jamaican um I have had a lot of Jamaican families from other islands like um, St. Kitts, um, from Trinidad, um, a lot of people from Haiti, mm. um, sometimes in Puerto Rico, even Puerto Rico is now establishing, um, they do have insurance coverage, but mm. a lot of families from Puerto Rico. Um, so I do find there's a huge, um, a lot of Caribbean um, or Latin, Latin American and Caribbean um, families that they, mm. they either migrate for 
again, securing better health health services um, mm. or to get their child um, services. So I know a family in particular, not one that I treat, that they moved solely to get their son's services um, and into the system. And I know another family that they're looking to also move again solely to get their son into the system because they are frustrated with the current situation um, in Jamaica, unfortunately. So I will say that a huge percent, and I would expand this, I know that the wealth of um, will come up here um, to receive like very, you know, intensive surgery if they can't afford it. Um, like if they have something like they, there's unfortunately a distrust in the healthcare field and the medical fraternity. Um, so, and I don't know if that is due to religious purposes or because we get, we have a lack of resources or mm. because we're spread too thin. Um, that a lot of people, that's generally the consensus because, you know, Jamaica is an hour and 27 minutes away from Miami. That's an hour and 27 minute flight. Um, so they'll go forth like I do frequently um, where they'll go and they'll have their child receiving services. They go home for the holidays or they go home for, you know, a couple of breaks and then they have them steadily in therapy. And again, because Again, and it's easy for them to either secure a job out here. Maybe it's not what they want to do, but secure a job that will get them benefits or that they can provide, um, get services for their children. But I would say the majority comes from a lot of a lot of different islands. Um, I've seen it even from like, you know, um, from Pakistan, India, in Asia as well. I've had lots of families as well. But the Caribbean mm. type of families, mostly in South Florida, I would say, not so much in other states. So if you're more in the east, I'm more likely to come up for Burton. Gabrielle, do you want to you want you want to jump in? But yes. So Curacao is is a very small island, and we are a, an old Dutch colony. So most of the people um, will move from Curacao to actually to the Netherlands um, to get like a better life or more services. And initially, kind of ABA was not as well known there. So I think um, I, living in the U.S., have not ever worked with anyone from Curacao. Um, I do when I was running my company. Um, we had Spanish language services, and I always had providers who spoke um, other languages as well. We had Mandarin and um, and Tamil. And so um, our clients, when I was, I lived in the seems diverse area. We always had clients from um, often first-generation immigrants who had their, their kids in the U.S. and were coming to us. And I don't know if that was because they read my bio, because we were just pulling towards each other. Um but that was the work that I was doing here in the U.S. And then um, I think now in Curacao, what we've actually seen is um, I just recently had a call with someone. She's from Curacao, had moved to the U.S. Um, and is alone and is looking for her right, being close to family. If you have children, I have two kids of my own. Like, that's the one thing I miss. I'm far from my community, from my family. And so she had heard about us. And now she's considering moving back home because there's finally an option where she doesn't have to stay in the U.S. To, to get services for her son. She can actually potentially go back home, be close to family, and get services. And so um, that's something that was really cool to kind of experience that, like, wow, we're we're making it so people don't have to leave. Um, and so it really encourages us to, to continue working. And then I've started doing some mentoring of different people on different islands in the Caribbean. And I, I have seen what you mentioned, right? Like, are people moving two different islands. So I know some people from other islands actually come to the Cayman Islands. So to me, Cayman is, it's like the the furthest ahead out of all, all of the Caribbean. And so people are moving there, I get training. Um, and, and now with telehealth, basically what we've, so Sloan and I are part of the, um, this is kind of connecting people in the Caribbean together. I've started getting requests to do some of that, like telehealth mentoring. And I actually mentor someone who's 
uh, on one island as she's providing services on other islands because she goes back and forth to different islands providing support. And so we're kind of looking at this network of, of right, do what we can right now. And that is telehealth and that is supporting um, and then encourage people to start things. And I think, Kimberly, what you're doing, right? Like I can actually point and say, look, someone from Jamaica, <laughs> someone from an island just like us is out there doing mm. doing big things, getting research out that is more appropriate for us um, because we couldn't, what we have in Curacao, if I mm. explain it, it's not at all what you see That's here in the US. It's not one-to-one. It's just not affordable. And so we are adjusting and adapting and just what can we offer that is high quality, but affordable or at least more affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and just really, yeah, my goal is that no one really, right? If you want to move to get a straight, the fact that you have to uproot your whole family and move to another country, take a job that isn't necessarily what you studied or what you want to do just so that your child can get services. Um, that's like my long-term goal to like not have to have people do that because it also puts a, a huge equity gap. Like not everyone can oh, pick yeah. up and move. And so those people are not getting services for their kids. And those kids yep. are staying home um, because they care at least like school and they don't know how to create a space where kids, you know, with a diagnosis can be successful. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of things. I'm on a mission here. So if you let me, I'll talk, I'll talk your ear off about all the things I want to achieve. <laughs> uh, the thing I also try to go into school, the echoing response that I get from lots of parents uh, in Jamaica is going to accommodate their child or their child child will be get removed from the school or their child will get kicked out of the school or they just they don't have the accommodation so I even attempted going to various various schools across the island um, offering like hey I can create you know this support system for you know these children they're like well can be only one person um, we would love to come mm-hmm. but we don't have the resources and we don't have the funding to do that and as Gabby said it 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 is it i mean to be very honest it can be very traumatizing because you don't have that you know support system and that's i think one of the hardest things for me even when i was up here for um for school just not having that support system even though i have a lot of siblings in south florida and i have a lot of family it just wasn't the same type of support system that you have at home and then you miss that and i think that the challenge is that having your support system but then also getting mm. the services that you need so you're isolated so then i think that puts a lot mm. of strain on mm. you know first generation parents because they're there by themselves they're getting they're doing the best for their child but again that you're ripping away that support system that you have and that community support because it's very community oriented i i mean in in jamaica we'll call like if i was to have known gabby's parents i'd call them auntie or uncle that's just one of the hmm. the cultural norms so even though you're not you know blood related to someone you call them auntie or uncle that's just how it is um you, you know it's not to someone if your parent has to work late or it's, it's a different different communal type of system so it's very unfortunate because it is hard and i know that it as you said, they pick up and they have to take a job that they did not necessarily mm. study for because their priority is their child. And then there comes with the, sometimes there's a cultural dissonance, which is what I say that when you are in somewhere that you is not your home country and you're trying to adapt norms and values, and then you're also trying to adapt to what is present because mm. it does, it's not really being honest, you know, Behavior analysis is not really set up for diverse individuals. We're having a movement now, but it's really not designed for a typical Caribbean family or a typical Jamaican family or a family from Curacao. Because um, as Gabby said, the Cayman, I think, is 
miles and miles and miles ahead of us. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, I'm not sure if it's just tourism or if it's like them mm. earning US dollars mm. and then not having that wealth and equity as well. So I will that like I think even in Turks and Caicos, they they still struggle with getting services as well. They can get services, but they still want to come over. And that's been experiences that I've heard mm. verbatim from other families. So um, and again, this is all boils down. Like, you know, I know you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, colonialism. Unfortunately, yeah. these are the remnants of colonialism on uh, on an island. You know, people came in and they invaded. And unfortunately, they ransacked, mm. uh, ransacked us, sorry for a better word. And then so now we're kind of left to pick up the pieces. Um, and when you're predominantly black country or predominantly, you know, darker mm. skin, I, I think mm-hmm. Gabby mentioned this too, that Kyrgyzstan is a predominantly um black country as well or people of afro descent i do think there is that disparity as yeah. well um so then there is the dissonance moving to the united states moving somewhere else where you're not comfortable you don't have your support system and you were as i said jamaica is still reeling from post-colonial um hmm. effects which is very relevant to the past years this year um and we were colonized by spain and england i know um Kyrgyzstan, so, like they, from my remember learning about mm. it, um, it's the ABC Islands, so they speak Dutch there, but we don't, we speak English in Jamaica, obviously. Um, but again, so there's also that portion too with the colonialism, and sometimes there's a little bit of hesitancy to um, even being open to the medical model because we tend to rely a lot on religion, not everyone, but we tend to rely a lot on religion. Um, so that can also be a barrier as well. In in again, I would say across some some communities so it's a so i'm wondering i'm wondering um that's really interesting i'm i want to talk just a little bit about sort of and you you've kind of already started to touch on this quite a bit kimberly but the uh kind of the, the history and and sort of demographics of of the of the places you're from. I know you can't speak to sort of right. every Caribbean island, but you know, a lot of folks, um, you know, myself myself included, up until maybe you know a, a few years ago, sort of you know looked at the Caribbean as you know essentially just a bunch oh, of tourist sure. islands. So um, you um, know, a bunch of islands full of resorts with you know uh, beaches and. Bikinis and you know the the whole sort of you know uh, sort of tourism kind of kind of kind of image and then you know some and then maybe and then maybe folks would know a little bit about Haiti um, as being sort of this you know place with you know a, a lot of problems because uh, Haiti seems to make the news solely for sort of you know earthquakes and unrest and 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 and, and nothing else um and uh, and then the rest of the the rest of the islands again they're all just sort of yeah they're all they're all it, I think for a lot of folks sort of outside of the Caribbean they're all the same um you know they're all just one set of islands you know um you know all these sorts of things if you know you some folks may have some idea when they hear British Virgin Islands. Okay, well, maybe that one's different because there's the, Brit- the word British in it. Um, uh, but generally, you know, there's a sort of presumption, you know, or, or Jamaica, you know, because Bob Marley was popular, you know, they, they've sort of made have, have some images there of sort of, you know, um, um, you know, you know, I'm sure you know what those images are. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that's sort of about it. But, you know, obviously there's 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 a lot more to these places um so i'm I'm curious sort of one kind of about the history because you know like 
we touched a bit on sort of indigenous peoples in, in the beginning of the podcast, you know, so kind of a, a multi-part question here, which you can sort of answer any parts you want. Um, um, you know, uh, I'm curious sort of about the history of the islands in terms of, you know, the, the, you know, the different peoples that, you know, you know, kind of those that lived there originally sort of pre-colonization, are they still around? Um, or, were, or were they decimated or whatnot? Um, uh, and two, kind of who's there now and kind of how they ended up there. Um, you know, a, a, bit, a bit of kind of that backstory. Sorry, I was going to say, interestingly enough, Haiti was the world's black-led, sorry, Haiti was the first world's black-led republic um, and the first actually independent Caribbean island that um, kind of dismantled colonialism. So it's very sad to see that they this has come at a crippling cost to them, cost to them, because you know they've had to pay reparations. But in terms of the history of Jamaica, Jamaica was um, you know, populated by indigenous people. There are the Tainos that have the mm. Taino population. Mm. Um they they're a small population, I believe, if I remember correctly, the Arak population was decimated by the Spanish when they came in. Um, in 1655 and colonized us. Um, and then they kind of, as I said, plundered all of our resources. And um, if you watch Pirates of the Caribbean and you see Port Royal, um, that is, again, it was the hub for a lot of exports and exporting to, you know, the Spanish Queen and stuff like that. So, you know, Jamaica, there's a lot of places in Jamaica, a uh, place in Jamaica that's called Spanish Town, which um, it used to be called, I cannot remember the, the name, but it was, Considered, if you could, mighty, if you will, it would call the, you know, and in some time in 1655, the British invaded and they kind of took over. Um, and then that lasted until 1962. And so Jamaica is actually now trying to kind of separate themselves from the crown because the queen is kind of still our queen. We still have like a governor general that responds to the queen, um, reports to the queen rather, even though, so not the queen, now it's the king. We've been um, because slaves or, you know, Afro, people of African descent, they were, you know, they're trying to, you know, fight oppression and there's lots of civil unrest and there's lots of ac activism. Then they actually brought in what, and I don't love using in China and East mm -hmm. India. So then we have a lot of influences. So which is where the curry comes in, which is where we have like amazing Jamaican Chinese food. And also we have a lot of, um, Jewish people that fled as well, and they became they were merchants, and they fled from persecutions. So Jamaica's kind of always been sort of a place that um, people tend to of so many different um, ethnicities, so many different places, and even though our motto is out of many one people, and our I would say the population is primar primarily of Afro descent. Um, the people that are in charge of the tend to be more brown skinned or lighter skinned, or again, they, again, uh, what I call, they benefited from the plantocracy system, which means that they came there as settlers or they came there um, because they wanted to whatever back in the day. And then they just ended up monopolizing the wealth in the country, which again leads to wealth inequity. And I mean, I don't want to turn this into like a history lesson, but that's kind of what happens, unfortunately. Um, so there are, Again, when we're looking at the wealth inequity, um, people of Afro descent, that is not to say that they cannot, you know, be successful. It's not to say that they're unable to make a living for themselves, but there is a lot of classism and there is racism to a lesser extent, but I would say classism um, in Jamaica as well, which also prevents, you know, children 
um, predominantly children, which is just the unfortunate state. Um, there's also lots of classes in where, you know, even someone like myself, I might move in different circles and they may be like, oh, but I don't know who you are. And then so I am seen as less qualified sometimes. I'm less qualified, again, because I display me to come into the, the Jamaican scenario where it may be dominated by people of fair skin tone or of, um, mm. again, so the people that are somewhat trusted, again, across mm -hmm. this demographic, I may not be the person that wants this. So again, through this frustration, I turned it into research. Um, so again, because the people who hold the wealth uh, are the people that are in charge. And again, because of classism, um, that is another barrier as well for disseminating um, I guess even providing services, um, it's it's just something again that's bed, embedded from colonialism. Um, it even and I don't even like to use this word with mixing or even forced mixing and stuff like that. So uh, there's a lot of things that may affect you know my ability to probably provide services. I'm not saying it was, and I know Gabby had mentioned this earlier um, when we mm. had first met that um, she does find that you know, families are more likely to listen to her because she is, again, of a lighter skin tone, lighter but it's just something that I have found fascinating. And Gab, if you want to jump in on colorism, um, which is where I'm piggybacking off of. Yes, I am. Um, as as you were talking, Kimberly, I think we have, our islands have similar histories, other, other colonializers, but similar histories in terms of kind of mm -hmm. where we've gone. And so Curacao, um, we have the, our, um, we there is hardly anyone from kind of that Native American descent um, left in Curacao, and I went to kind of look, and it was actually when the Spanish settled us first. Um, they actually shipped everyone off to be slaves on other islands. Um, the Curacao South and as other parts of the Caribbean, were, the great thing is we're protected from hurricanes. Mm -hmm. In terms of being a colony, we were not as useful to the Spanish as they thought we would be because we didn't have fertile soil. Um, and so, so they were, they had colonized us, but after, um, and they took advantage of um, our harbor. So we have a very, very deep harbor that allowed um, ships mm. to safely enter and they could close off the harbor. And so it kept ships safe. And so the Dutch converted Curacao into like their main trade center um, in on this mm. side of the world. Um, and that trade was, yes, great. Um, so we became slaves in Arabia, which meant that people were coming mostly from Western Africa, being brought over and then being resold to other islands. Um, and so our population now is 85% Black, um, or at least most of us are mixed. So I am very uh, white looking. I have a, I took after my Dutch grandmother, um, but I'm mixed race, uh, mix of like Venezuelan and, you know, African descent um, and some Eastern and, and Western mm. European mixed in there. And that's pretty much the population of Curacao um, is that many of us are mixed. There is a combination of Dutch people who came um, because we are still part of the Dutch kingdom. Mm. So we were part um, of a five island nation for a very long time, um, Bonaire and Curacao and then uh, Seba, St. Martin and, and St. Estatius. And in 2010, we became an independent country, but we are still part of the Dutch kingdom. And so I think um, it has its benefits because as you said, right, the, the, what people know about the Caribbean is it's these beautiful tropical islands. And so the Dutch 
they do kind of take care of some of the of some of the things on the island because it is their vacation getaway. Um, but behind those vacation resorts, uh, there are a lot of people that live there. There's a whole population of people that live there, mm. and, and tourism is one of our big industries. We also had an oil refinery because we are really close to um, the coast mm. of Venezuela. So the Dutch um, found oil in South America and used our island as a refinery site. Um, and then we had a, a, free, a free zone like trading place. So we have a lot of, just like in Jamaica, we have a lot of Jewish people that came um, from Portugal, but also from Brazil. Um, and then over time, we've also had Chinese and Indian immigrants. Our local language is called Papiamento, and it's actually an Afro-Portuguese Creole that has a whole bunch of languages mixed into it um, because that's how the merchants and people mm. trading uh, communicated with each other. So in Curacao, we speak four languages. Dutch is our main mm. like school language. And then Papiamento has evolved over time to an official language. And then we're close to South America, so we speak Spanish. And then we have all tourists coming in because we're close to the U.S., so we also speak English. Um, but it's and, and in fifth grade, I think, and then fifth grade. So you're learning um, mm. all the languages so that you can be ready to, to talk to tourists. Um, yeah, so... In terms of, I think one, we definitely still have the, the classes that I'm standby. It's a little less, I don't know, I can't decide if it's the color of my skin or the fact that I, I went to the U.S. to study, right? And so like America, like I got to go there. Probably a little bit of both. And so I will use that. I'll just Probably stand there and be the person um, to be like, use my name, put it next to your name if it helps make you sound more credible. Um, I, and when I was growing up, it was a woman. And so it always baffles me when, when right, living in the U.S., it's such a big deal that we, um, we've only, for, for the longest time, there were only white male presidents. And I grew up with a um, black female prime minister. Hmm. Um, and so I think that that is one thing that I've noticed in Curacao. Um, while we are still governed, right, in part <laughs> by the Dutch kingdom, we do have um, most of the people in our government are mixed race, black, white. It's it's a mix. You get a a little bit of like, oh, you're not from Curacao. Like, out people will sometimes see me and go like, oh, um, she's Dutch. And then when I speak the local language, you're mm. like, oh no, she is from here. Um, <laughs> and so there are those cultural things where kind of you're either a local <laughs> or you're not. Um, and in terms of culture and community, you get kind of cut, shut out if you're not from the island. But in terms of bringing in services, it is like, oh wow, you studied in the U.S. Oh wow, you went and did something mm. big in another country, and then um, we're going to listen to you versus potentially there are some really wonderful people in Curacao who are really well trained. And so those are the people, I mean, the clinical director I work with in Curacao, she um, did not study. Out, well, no, I don't think she left to, to study outside um, of Curacao, but she's brilliant. I mean, she's the, the work she's doing down there. Um, I started mm. needing to have a like, trainer and now she's just doing some amazing things down there. And I, I love seeing that because it shows people kind of, you don't need to go and, and only count on like those experts from another country. Like we can do it too. Um, we can we can build up our own skills and our and take care of our own people. So um it's definitely it's definitely an interesting move their country and and learn that here in the US, for example, you didn't learn the same history. We had to learn so much. Mm. I learned about different islands. There are right, there are Dutch islands in the Caribbean, Spanish islands, there's mm -hmm. French islands that are still they're actual provinces of their countries. Yeah. While some of us are yes. fully independent countries, others are countries, but we're part of the kingdoms. And so we still get like mm. external um, governance happening. And so um, 
it's it's complicated initially when we thought about right. how do we get together, right? We're all small countries. How do we get together and support each other? Well, there are like seven, eight, I don't know how many different government styles that you have to figure out when you're figuring out what like what license, what credential would work <laughs> here on the islands. What oh for sure. What do people need? So yeah. I do think it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, again, we've had a lot of mixed race um prime ministers as well. We call them prime ministers, mixed race prime ministers, um, black prime ministers and black people and mixed people in the government as well. Um, and again, so the same thing when, I, when you mentioned your, uh, I don't want to butcher the word, but you know, in Jamaica we speak Pato, which is a mix of, you know, it's English-based Creole, but it has West African influences and it's spoken in, you know, Jamaica and the diaspora. And again, I think that comes from, again, having to interact with evil merchants mm. or interact with slave owners and then it became like a mix a hodgepodge of languages and then even if i think if you were to listen to um we even have people from ireland that have settled and if you listen to the irish accent and you listen to like a really yeah. deep here oh that sounds exactly like how the how, how pato sounds and um even in jamaica there's different subcultures across different parts of the island so even though mm. we are a big tourist country um we even are a big tourist. Uh, tour, tourism is a big industry as well. But, you know, we export the bananas. We have Jamaican coffee. We have, you know, our rum and stuff like that. Um, but I do think that people have this misconception that we're just a tourist island. Um, when, again, yes, it is. And it's more on the north coast and the west coast, the eastern part, of, sorry, the western and the northern parts of the island and even the south. Um, but we also have, you know, a, a thriving economy, a thriving Nightlife, uh, sorry, not economy. You can take that part out. <laughs> but like, you know, we do have a thriving culture, a thriving culture. Um, you know, which is like you know, we celebrate carnival, um, lots of party scene, and rich music, which is not just like reggae music, and it's not just you know Bob Marley. It, there's so many other influences. So, yeah, I do think like even when coming here, it was a shock to me too. It's a culture shock um, coming to the U.S. to be like, oh, they where we have a lot of black people maybe in some leadership positions um, and a lot of female people in leadership positions um, as well. Hmm. So it is it is interesting to see the dynamics between the U.S. and Jamaica where, again, because again, we're predominantly black. So, of course, people in leadership positions or, you know, political positions would be of black descent as well. So moving, moving over to Sloan here. So it sounds like, you know, when we talked to him at the beginning and, we, and when we met, kind of previously a, a month or so ago talking about all this you know that the, the caymans were seemed to be kind of you know ahead of the game and and, and gab gabby and kimberly have sort of attested to that as well that sort of they're they're they're, they're definitely certain certainly in terms of you know aba services and whatnot so a couple questions one sort of the same question just as far as sort of you know the history, because Kimberly, you mentioned you don't want to make this into a history lesson, but I think we have to make this into a history lesson because I think, especially hearing about all of the ridiculous things that are happening in Florida these days, um, you know, uh, no, no, no one's no one's getting true history, right? So, um, uh, and in fact, it's only recently now that you know, I think more Americans are starting to, and Canadians and people around the world are starting to learn, you know, what what, what the real history was of, uh, of of the places we're living in. And, and and it makes a difference. I mean, I mean, the governments have spent a lot of time trying to quash these facts and hide them and repress them and make everything sound like, you know, everything's been great forever. There's there was never racism and so on and so forth. 
Um, so I, I think it's definitely important. So I'm, I'm curious about sort of the the history in the in the Caymans and and also maybe how that kind of it, the history of the peoples and whatnot and the sort of demographics, but also kind of how maybe that has how maybe that history is different or, or, or whatnot that sort of has led to the Caymans being, being able to do more things in the Caymans in terms of ABA than, than some of these other islands. Um, I, I think the Cayman islands are different in some aspects because of um, the fact that we are a financial uh, hub as well as um, have a lot of, do a lot of work currently, you know, with, overseas law firms, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of so-called wealth that does come through Cayman, but that was certainly not the case in the beginning. And the majority of Caymanians are of African, Welsh, Scottish, or English descent. And there's mm. a lot of interracial mixing. Mm. We are a British overseas territory. And, you know, it's, it's, it is easy to draw some comparisons in terms of um, the fact that we do have a government that is locally um, voted in, and you can see a range of, quote, skin colors amongst the various, uh, but as well, you do have a governor that has a post here from, and is, and is assigned by the king at this point, and initially, there was, you know, the first um, permanent resident was noted mm. around 1700, I believe. And, and there was a his, there was also, you know, a time where the Cayman Islands did institute slavery. So historically, mm. there are some similar lines uh, to Curacao and to Jamaica. But obviously, you know, mm. there are some differences. And as as it relates to ABA services, I I guess the best I can say is there unfortunately is certainly a especially now a haves and haves not situation going on, but I don't think that's only in Cayman. However, there's a huge expat. Uh, um, mm -hmm. community here, not solely funded mm -hmm. by tourism in the least. Um, like I said, more so the reasons for that are financial in, in nature. Mm -hmm. um, but Caymanians, there is, you know, in terms of uh, the workforce, Caymanians are given priority, rightly so, for jobs and mm -hmm. within the government especially. And that's the the main source of insurance funding for services. And, you know, I think, I think that's a very lucky thing for the Cayman Islands. Uh, you know, both of you have spoken about the disparity in terms of wealth and that mm. only the wealthy can afford services. But when we're talking about comprehensive ABA services, not just consultation to families, we're still talking about a significant amount of funds. Not even in Cayman is that accessible. And so there really is a push um, to, to try now to ensure that it's accessible mm. across 
us governments who have government insurance as well as, as those who have the private insurance premiums that are technically uh, more expensive, but provide much less. Um, I'm not sure if that was a kind of a circular answer, but I was trying to bring it back a little bit more to, to ABA and the Caribbean, if, if that's okay. Um, yes, I think that, and as Gabby mentioned, um, yeah. both she and I are on the board of the Caribbean Association for Behavior Analysis. And even though one of our goals is to help other countries set up regulatory bodies and licensing bodies, that each government is organized so differently and has links to different countries or overseas territories. It's it's a massive barrier, massive challenge um, in, in terms of moving that forward. And so you can talk about insurance, you can talk about haves and haves nots, you can talk about um, and who's going to be respected and whether that person has studied on island or off island. The barriers and the possibilities, um, I think, are, you know, two sides of the coin, right? I, I try to consider my view a solution-focused kind of view uh, because I think that if we don't um, try while acknowledging the history, which is extremely important because it, it, it transcends generations, um, you can not uproot a family, like Kim said, and still be as successful as you could to raise any child and we are taking visuals that have additional stressors into a new country and I think that overall as as we all try to navigate these murky waters of trying to undo or address what has happened in the past and move forward for the purposes of so, our discussion in terms of awareness, um, normalization of individuals with special needs and not hiding people behind doors and accepting help and accepting all versions of help, you know, in terms of the person who's delivering the help. I think there's a lot of work to do, but I also think there's so many learnings that have already happened, both historically and currently. And there's so much work that still needs to go into it. Sloan, I um I just I actually I love what you said because I think part of the success that Sloan has had on, on the Cayman Islands is that. She did just go, yeah, here are all the obstacles and we're going to make stuff happen anyways. And so um, I do look at where she is and I go, okay, what can we learn? Right. And I think other, other countries will do that too, because our governments are influenced by what other places are doing. And so I look and I go, what has she done? And I've asked, like, I'm working right now with trying to get the schools to um, accept, right. Accept our, our credentials and accept people who are trained. Um, right. Cause this is not a degree that exists in the Dutch system. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, but like the Dutch system has like all these layers of like from high school on like it's of how many years you're in a certain program and what you can study, which is different from mm. uh, many of the kind of like the traditional ABA master's programs. And so 
getting recognition for our degree has been something I've worked on. And so when the school says, we've heard of this ABA thing, we'd like to stop resources. And she was able to share that. And so I think that's the, it is this, like, this is hard, right? You're a behavior analyst and you're an advocate and you're looking into policy. Our parents too, right? We work with a lot of parents who they're not just the parent of a child with special needs. They're, uh, they're their therapist. They're learning new with uh, funding sources, with, with government, with education, with schools. And so we've, we're all just getting together and going, okay, these are our barriers. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've already written or knocked on doors or sat down with someone from the government to see what funding sources exist. And I just, at this point, early on, when we started the foundation, we went, okay, the center, we want to get that set up in like a year or two. Awareness, we're going to do immediately. And we just kind of knew from the start this was going to be a really long journey and it was one where we were going to get a lot of no and we still had to do it right this is what had to happen and I'll tell you there are times where they're exhausted because their child um, may be going through something and then they're fighting this fight and that's what's nice about being a community we can go okay let me let me see what I can do or someone else will reach out um I mean, now with the school thing, we've passed, we've passed the baton of who's like the main point of contact multiple times, because first it was logistically, how could we bring people in? And then they're not right now. They're like questions about um, hmm. what it might actually look like. And I worked as a coach in schools here in the U S and like, let me, let me model some stuff that I have, but it's, it's a lot of no's. It's a lot of finding the one small opening, the window, the door that's open and like sneaking your way in and then turning to each other and, and, and asking like, what have you done? And adjusting it mm. for your own country. So I think I think seeing the success of the Cayman has been really inspirational to me um, because it's has mm. shown me like it's possible. I mean, they have half the number of people that Curacao has and like what, eight eight BCBAs total on island train Aslan. Um So Only it varies, to be honest. There's actually one in the school system now, Gabby. So as you were talking about, you know, long-term plans, you know, I like to say, like, I, I did a presentation with the deputy principal of the only special needs school in Ireland, governmental, and we talked through the last pretty much 13 years. And the first thing that we talked about, it was the ASD virtual symposium hosted by Myco University. So virtual symposium, and it was attended to wonderfully by about 250 participants, most of whom are living in the Caribbean, which was amazing. And are you a solopreneur running your business alone and need help getting more exposure to your target audience while growing your brand? At Beale Marketing Group, we specialize in delivering comprehensive marketing solutions tailored to your unique needs. Our team of seasoned experts excels in crafting creative strategies that captivate your target audience build brand authority, generate high-quality leads, and streamline your business processes. Whether you're seeking a brand makeover, effective lead generation, or a plug-and-play solution that takes care of everything for you, we have you covered. Services can include strategy sessions, video editing, social media management, brand board development, and even a virtual assistant. When you choose Beale Marketing Group, you're partnering with a team of passionate professionals who treat your business as our own. 
We go above and beyond to understand your goals, target audience, and unique challenges to craft tailor-made strategies that produce remarkable results. Schedule your free discovery call today at bmgfreeconsult.com. That's bmgfreeconsult.com. The second secret word is community. I heard a lot of learnings of families in significant distress and learned their own boards or started their own boards. But when it when it came to Cayman and this 13-year journey at this point, uh, the first thing, yeah, there was a lot of no's and that's okay with me. But the reality is, is that there needs to be a lot of humility when you're trying to get your agenda through. Humility, um, you have to be culturally aware, you have to be culturally sensitive. And those things like really do start to open the doors. And even as an expat, which had its own barriers, um, those cross collaborations um, are so essential. So one door might be pretty shut and locked, but the other door might not be. Uh, those So those cross collaborations from private to governmental schools, every organization possible. And it did start with awareness, awareness normalize. There are indeed individuals who are neurodiverse and that is okay. And that wasn't technically a term 13 years ago, but it's okay. There's help available. We were, the goal when I came to Cayman was to minimize how many individuals had to leave because we've already discussed the stressors around that. Um, and through collaboration, through successful partnerships, there is now, um, I'm training people in governmental agencies. Uh, they've seen efficacy, so it only takes a few pilots, to be fair, um, at least in Cayman, to a few free offerings to see an outcome that can then be justified to government um, for additional funding or to private funding sources. Over years of trying to get this to where it is now. Uh, there's a BCBA in the government school system now, and that's a huge win. They're, they're, they're hiring RBTs from the private providers. They're, they're acknowledging a fact that hiring unskilled people to support individuals awesome. in their school system is completely inappropriate. Hmm. That one-off hmm. trainings, a professional development day, do not work. Um, and so over time, there's really been a significant amount of learning that's taken place, but it's taken place very slowly. And so, as Gabby said, that long-term strategic plan, that'd be fair, and I'm going to be like full disclosure, it didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily in my mind. It's like, this is my two-year plan and my four-year plan and my eight-year plan. But I, but I was doing the therapy at that point. So I wasn't even able to, you know, spend the time to think about that. Um, but thankfully, the director here is wonderful mm -hmm. at helping with those connections to allow, you know, that thought process to take place as well and those partnerships as well. But more of the story from that joint collaborative presentation was that you start small, you find your one door, like Gabby said, you acknowledge the past, you respect it, you don't shove it under the rug, and you help improve awareness, acceptability of both providing services as well as receiving them, mm. you know, who's providing the services as well as who's receiving them. And not everyone's going to be off and running as quickly because funding really is important. 
Um, but regulatory bodies start to improve themselves. Licensing boards start to be established. You know, there's a National Council for Disabilities mm. here now. I'm now on the steering committee for the Adult Safeguarding um, Committee. So legislation is changing and I don't know which started first. You know, awareness of special needs and then therefore action, some action, more awareness. It's the chicken and the door might be different, mm. but if you remain solution focused and refuse to take no for an answer, then you can start to make waves, right? Gabby and I through the Caribbean Association for Behavior Analysis are, you know, diverting left, right and center until we figure it out along with our other board members. And um, Gabby, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're over 70 now. Yes, we're right at, right at 70. Members from across the Caribbean. Um, islands and, represented. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And, and every island has its own story. Um, so I know we're kind of representing just three, but I've heard from parents of various islands that, you know, they're doing things their own way and that's okay. And there's no right way to do it. The Caribbean is so diverse like Gabby and Kimberly have said, and the histories that have resulted in this diversity and, you know, what, you know, overseas country or they have has resulted in where they are now. And I respect that. But I also think that there's a impetus for change and there always will be. Yeah, I will. One thing that I was thinking about as Lone was, was talking is something I've had various people go like, I want to work with you in the Caribbean. Um, and I just, if you were listening to what Sloan said, and if I think about my work, like it's that, I mean, you're working to get paid in some ways, and then you're doing a lot of joining boards and, and attending meetings. And there's a lot of just free work that goes in there, right? And just, um, yeah, it's it sounds, I think, because you think like Caribbean, nice touristy tropical island, great. Mm. And then if you actually think about the work, um, mm. it's it's rolling up your sleeves and doing a lot of mm. stuff. Like I I joke with my team in Curacao, I go, as long as I get like the 4 to 6 p.m. time off whenever I'm there so I can yes. go to the beach with my kids. Um, but in reality, like if I ever get a call from some minister that says, you want to meet at five o'clock and talk about this? Yeah, I'm there. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Like whoever I need to talk to, whoever I need to collaborate with, keeping an open mind to whatever other services are there and not isolating people. Um, it's a very, it's a very experience connection um, and just, mm-hmm. yeah, learning to collaborate and learning to listen and recognizing you might be the expert in behavior analysis, but there is so much to learn. Even on my own island, I have to sit down and actually listen. And um, when we were working at the schools, my they said, what are you going to say? I said, oh, I'm not going to say much. I just want to hear what they're thinking before I put my my opinion in there, because I, I need to understand what's happening. I totally agree. I think I have to agree with you as well. And I wasn't um, coming from the place that there are so many barriers that it's impossible to deliver services. It's just that I think in order to understand the population you're dealing with, you need to understand their history, their learning history, their cultural identity. Again, how you, yes, behavior analysis is you know effective and it makes change and it does wonderful things and it's a science, but I do think that there is a component that is missing, but maybe it's being built and worked on now that you do have to understand people's learning histories where they're coming from. And again, coming a place of where you're listening and learning from them. Um, and again, being able to overcome obstacles, but also 
again, to meet people where they really are and to get that parent buy-in as well, you really have to be able to understand one's identity. You know, maybe it's even a microcosm of culture. Um, it 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 doesn't maybe it doesn't occur in a vacuum, right? It doesn't occur in a an isolated vacuum. It is something that is multifaceted. And when you're dealing with many people, whether it's in Jamaica, whether it's in Trinidad, whether it's in Turks and Caicos, you have to be able to understand where they're coming from and to learn from, you know, mistakes in the past and how to move forward and how to be determined. Um, so my, my goal is not to just shed the barriers, but I think to understand the barriers and our learning history, it helps us understand what shapes us as people know. And then when we meet these parents and these families, then you can understand where they're coming from. So you can effectively provide services. So um, that is just, yeah, that's just my, my two cents that you, again, it just, again, my, I, the main point I want to drive home is that it doesn't occur in a vacuum. And, you know, health ministers, education that you'll need to jump through hoops for. I mean, we do have the Jamaica Autism Support Association, um, which I believe was founded in 2007. There's also the Maya Chung Autism and Disabilities Foundation as well. Uh, they do wonderful, wonderful work. But again, I think it's very important that in order to ethically serve someone, um, you have to be able to take it from a cultural lens and do some self-reflection mm. and uh, come in again, with lots of cultural humility as well, um, because I think that's the only way that you'll make effective change um, with multiple population. And this, this doesn't only apply to the Caribbean, it applies across the board, so. I think you know, there, there's been proven research that shows like trauma is intergenerational, right? And so it's not just the trauma, but just like you said, learning histories and there's so many multifaceted components that go into the delivery of our services and us acknowledging and trying to take these things into account is a job in and of itself, right? Uh, however, I also feel that that is very similar to, you know, the, the history of ABA in that where it started and where it's come to, which thankfully has, has come to a very progressive um much more ethical, humane um, place. Well, and when it started, every journey. Um, but I do, I do see some, you know, parallels between taking into account the learnings, acknowledging them. You can't undo them, right? Um, and keeping them at the forefront of your mind while you're trying to not only serve the population for more services, disseminate information in the appropriate way to the consumers. I think all of those things, you know, a BCBA is not just someone who supervises an RBT or an IBT or an ABAT or whomever. There's so much more to that. And I think that that occurs in the U.S. in different ways. And But in the Caribbean, I think it's 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 a job. It's a, I think you're it's so a, right because I was just thinking, like I'm thinking, I started working in the U.S. right 20 years ago. Uh, where there wasn't insurance funding, all of that. So it was mm -hmm. the same kind of starting new. And maybe that's it's some of the things that I mm -hmm. like is being like helping pave the way. But we're now 20 years later and we're doing it again in our on our islands, which means we have all this learning, right? We don't have to do it the same way. We can move forward and learn from the past. And I think the Caribbean just um this stuff is applicable anywhere, but because we are such a hodgepodge of cultures and languages, right? So our center, we run in four different languages. We have people from different countries, um, right? We're, we're 35 miles off the coast of South America. So people are coming to us all the time from Colombia and Venezuela as well. So 
we just in some places you might be able to do things a certain way because it's all people who are like you but i think inter interculture differences are also there right but in, in the caribbean it's just such a hodgepodge such a mix you can't be anything other than a bcba who is or a behavior analyst right who's aware of the importance of that that humanist that that culture that community um I just do it. And very quickly, I learned this kind of things that it was when we were talking that like you cannot just pick up a program and go, Absolutely. all right, that works really well. I'm going to drop it here. It, it, it takes social significance and individualization it goes to the next level. Where, uh, I mean, one, you're just going to get the, the doors slammed on you and the family's going to go like, nope, this doesn't work for us. But also as you start, as we were starting to run the, our center, hmm. um, it just didn't work. It didn't work for the way we were set up. It didn't work for funding. It didn't work for the staff. Um, and, and I had to. Are you a BCBA supervisor looking to streamline your practice? Or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Whomhouse offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Whomhouse has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more. If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match, kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search Whomhouse on Google. The third secret word is background. Go, okay, I have all these great ideas, but they're just great ideas if I can't actually implement them in this setting. And so um, we had, I had to really look at collaboration and um, take some, some of my, I had acclimated really, but I can go, okay, this is, this is life in Curacao. What does that look like? Let me go back. And, and it just really makes you stop and go, okay. We're, we're a field of people working with other people. I go into people's lives, into people's homes, and you cannot just be the scientist or the behavior analyst. You have to be all these other things as well to be successful. And I think um, I think you can we can learn from the practices in the Caribbean that that's how we need to be anywhere we go to practice with, with people. I always say like we're people working with other people for other people. It's all about those interactions with other people. Um, and and so you can't do it in a vacuum. I think we can go on and on, Ben. You might want to realize in just a little bit. <laughs> so we actually can go on and on, and I imagine we'll have more of these conversations as we go on. One of the this has been a very, very cool discussion, and I'm learning lots and lots and lots about uh, the Caribbean and everything that's kind of going on there. The the uh, sort of initial impetus for bringing you folks on uh, back back when was uh, a post I saw somewhere about the Caribbean Association for Behavior Analysis. So I was wondering if folks might be able to maybe we could sort of finish off um, with a bit about sort of you know the history of uh, of Kappa, um, uh, uh, you know how long it's been around and, and kind of and then and then and then kind of get into sort of. Um, the work you're doing right now and, and maybe, you know, if there are sort of behavior analysts and sort of other parts of the Caribbean that maybe aren't, aren't aware or, or, or don't know about this, or maybe there's behavior analysts that are, you know, used to be in the Caribbean or now in other places that maybe want to connect that sort of thing. Tell me all about GABA and, 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 and what you're doing and, and uh, sort of, you know, what's, what's the future looking like? 
Gabby, you okay if I go first for a second? Okay, so um, Ben, I think it was the post about how three of our board members are presenting at a panel at ABAI in Denver on cultural and what starting services yes, in the Caribbean it, yes. can teach us. Yes, yeah, so that's three of our board members. So Gabby, who's our president-elect, uh, mm -hmm. myself, who's the president, and Meg, Megan Christ, she is a member of LARP, so we're participating in a panel. Mm -hmm. This is an extremely important topic, mm -hmm. and it aligned very much with what you know, the mission of Kaaba is how we're trying to move and disseminate information forward across the Caribbean, how we're trying to acknowledge what may have happened and aim to improve, you know, the application of the science so that there are more higher quality programs in place. Mm. So the Caribbean Association was founded in 2020 and it was the regulation mm. advancement places. We're an affiliated chapter of ABAI. So the Caribbean um, mm. affiliated chapter. And, you know, our mission is to disseminate the information, support ethical and effective and humane use of behavior analysis, advocate for funding mandates and evidence-based interventions. So we spoke about this a little bit in terms of having to acknowledge things that have happened across the Caribbean, uh, aim to upskill and educate and improve quality. We want to provide opportunities for continuing education at, you know, a reasonable rate. Things that, I mean, our membership this year was free. This has been our first really active year, 2022. Mm. We want to support the activities of ABAI and promote high standards of credentialing. You know, a lot of the Caribbean, there's not institutes of higher organization, education, sorry, that allow for individuals to stay on island mm -hmm. to study. Mm -hmm. And that is a barrier. It's a, a huge barrier. And we aim to assist with that. Gabby and her company have been wonderful. They are the first um, in the Caribbean to have a approved content. Sorry, Gabby, I'm giving you a plug here. Approved content provider for the IBA and the IBT, International Behavior Analyst and International Behavior mm. Therapist. Cool. And then our company is an approved content provider for the IBT. You know, through this panel, we're really hoping that the Caribbean services and how to, to improve outcomes and becomes something that's a bit more at the forefront as it really hasn't been thus far. And so that was really one of the big impetuses behind us aiming to present that topic on the panel. And it's really exciting that it's three members of our board that really speaks to our dedication for that value-based care and compassion, compassionate care, which is essential, which might not have been individuals' first experience with ABA and the Caribbean, if I'm being 100% honest. Mm. Mm. Abby? Yeah, and I think um, I think the, the other thing is that we talked about, um, right, like a large country 
can can work internally on their own and and maybe get regulations set in place right i think 2020 was right when the bacb announced right that yes. it was only going to be um us and right canada uk australia mm-hmm. and so um, for me, for example, I was looking at using the the BCBA, right? Those credentials is like a tool to go look. There, there is a legitimate career path. You have to get training, um, and then that was kind of that mm. ended. And so the the guidance we were given was like, look at what you can do within your country. Where when you're a country of sixty thousand people, a country of one hundred fifty thousand people, um, it's really small, right? And you're going to have small numbers. And so getting regulatory bodies set up, getting um, systems set up, like larger system changes happening when you're a small country is always going to be harder because your resources are limited, but also just your numbers will be smaller. If it's, uh, I'm just pulling it at any other large, like if it's Australia, I actually know from reading an article, they also have lower numbers, but as a, as a population based, you'll have be okay. this legislation. And so knowing that we were small, we, we started talking amongst ourselves and going, okay, what, what can we do? And we recognize that there was very little representation of people from the from the Caribbean, and there wasn't a, a chapter. There wasn't any anything that represented us. So even on the IBO's professional advisory board, we were looking, and there was no one from the from the Caribbean. And so we really started mm. thinking of ways like, what do we need to do as a region um, to make sure that our voices are heard? Right, like Kimberly right now going out and doing presentations. Caribbean person, I'm going, yes, someone else from the Caribbean, getting um, getting research mm. out there, getting information out there that's more relevant to who um, who we are, who, who our cultures are. Even though we're, we've spoken about all these differences, um, we have a lot in common. The Caribbean Association, getting Kaba together is really this place to say, um, let's band together and, and, you know, strengthen numbers, even though we have a lot of differences to figure out. Um, we're going to support each other because we really do understand a little bit more um, about what it's like to be a Caribbean nation, what it's like to be a Caribbean colonized nation, right? Um, to be small, to have limited resources in some ways. Um, and so that getting together was really mm. was really what, what got us moving. And so our core, um, we're founded on the Cayman Islands, but we have um, myself from daily, our goal is to get more both other islands so that we can all learn from each other and also learn how we can support each other. So CEUs that are um, more relevant to practicing in the in the Caribbean. And um, right, like Son was saying, my my what what I've dedicated myself to is these um these trainings, this IBT training and this IBA course that are um giving knowledge about right everything about ABA that I know, but then also how you do apply it with that culturally compassionate, culture responsive lens. So that it applies to Caribbean. I actually have people from many different countries in the course now. So it's going to be this amazing learning experience, I think, for me um, on how to shape as we're going the course in a way that it's not just like, here's all this ABA knowledge. But it's also like, what does it look like in your country, on your island? Um, and and how can you, in an ethical way, in an evidence-based way, in a culturally responsive way, um, use these amazing principles of the science that we, we all know and love and make it truly valuable yeah there's 15 so at the end of 2022 there are 15 that's my mission with Caribbean my organization now I live in the U.S. I work mostly outside the U.S. at this point countries just, um, just connecting people on different islands growing. and and it's hard when you feel like you're the only one doing it and then when you recognize so we're, like we're you might be the only one on your island but on Turks and Caicos someone is doing it as well um right draw and, the line and turn it out there's someone <laughs> doing it as well then then you create um, a community that you can lean on each other 
um, for and, and at least at least you have that community even if you're you're you know your challenges are different you have a group of people you can turn to so um yeah we've done some some great stuff like foundational stuff getting ourselves really up and running um and really looking forward to continuing to just There's build these opportunities to be connected across the Caribbean only, and, also and eight of them are republic training but links there that might be expanding the number you know expand the numbers so it's really is where do you draw the line <laughs> that's a great question i'd have to google it <laughs> i was gonna say that is a great question because like we have actually people from central america too so sometimes like belize and costa rica who are central correct yeah so it's i american but they have a coast on the caribbean um they get counted sometimes and then other times it's just the islands. So exactly. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> yes, because I I think about like Martinique and Guadeloupe. In the geographical region, they're, they're, they're just countries. part of France. Exactly. So if you were to count them, you don't count it's them as a region. country, but they are mm -hmm. certainly islands that should not be um disregarded when we're yeah. when we're trying to reach out to people. So um I would say there's probably in terms of like regions or or um I think it's. I think it might be 28. I'm. I'm. I'm not. Again, it depends because even when you're learning, um, like geography and history in in prep school, we learn about like the Lesser Antilles and the Greater Antilles. So you know, if you're on the western side, um, then you're part of the Greater Antilles. But like Gabby would be part of like the Lesser Antilles. So you, again, you do learn all of these things, um, at like the elementary stage. Um, so. It, it depends on how you rank it. It depends on if you're counting Latin America as well. Um, so if you count Latin America and the Caribbean, I think it's 33 countries. Um, if you count just like countries that are part of CARICOM, it might be like 13. Um, so it really depends. It, it's, it's kind of a, I guess I'm not mistaken. I think it's 26. Um, but some of them, as as um, Sloan said, they're, um, Sloan and Gabby said, they're not independent. They're either territories or, you know, um, our provinces or, you know, yeah. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. exactly. and then you have, exactly. You have like St. Right. Martin that is actually a tiny Island, but it's two countries because it has a Dutch exactly. side and a French side. And so, <laughs> right. And, and then some islands like Trinidad and Tobago are two different islands, but they are one country. So, <laughs> right. And even though Haiti, Haiti and the DR, the Dominican Republic, it's the same landmass, but they're two different countries as well. So it's, it can get their St. Kitts and Nevises too. So it, it really depends. And then you have like Antigua and Barbudo. And so it really, it really, it's really not depends. not an easy so answer, People call ben, like Trinidad and the same place, um, but they're literally two different landmasses. So it's, it can be, no. <laughs> Of well, uh, that, and that's okay. I, I think maybe the, the the it was just curious more, but I think the better question, mm -hmm. or maybe I, I I'm, I'm gonna maybe even assume here, what what where, wherever the highest number is, um, uh, and if we include all the coastal folks, I, I presume all these folks are welcome to join. Absolutely, yes. and anyone who, um, yeah. I mean, we have yeah. members like myself who live in. Right. We live in another country, but we I, I don't know. I think you leave the islands. Mm. I maybe someone will will call me wrong, but I don't think you ever really leave your your 
island. <laughs> There's no, always a don't. little piece of you. And so if you are living anywhere um, outside of the Caribbean, but you are connected um, to Walden or doing um, back back home, if that's back home for you, um, please join us. We also have members who have joined who are um, not directly linked to the Caribbean, but they want to support or they want to learn about ways to support. So um, mm. yes, anyone who lives in the Caribbean, definitely. Um, and it's it's behavior analysts, but also so um, anyone who's training or, or working on that RBT or IBT role, any parents, um, anyone, right? We are really, really wanting to collaborate. So speech speech therapists, occupational therapists, whatever other mm. um, field you're in, if you're interested in behavior analysis and behavior analysis specifically in the Caribbean, join us. Um, and and we're hoping to offer different levels, right? So Sloan's been working on like a, a parent's mm. corner where we're really working on listening to parents and sharing resources and information specifically for parents. And then uh, Meg and I have, focused a little bit more on you know, the continuing education for professionals and get a whole range of things. So, so lots of different resources. And I love that you added that part that, sorry, oh, we're all talking. <laughs> I, I said, I love that you have extended that to, to people who may want to help and they may not be from, they may not be from the Caribbean, but maybe again, they are second generation and they have that ancestry um, and that heritage and they want to, you know, they want to help or they just any continuing education um, opportunities as well. That would be amazing. I think it's a great thing that you've created our own little, you know, area in behavior analysis because you're right, there was no representation. And how would people reach mm. out to Cabo or the Caribbean? Yes. That was my next question. Thank you, Kimberly. Well, you can go through our website. <laughs> you can go through our website. So it's www www.caribbeanba.org and you can join as a member that way and on there we'll also have we have links to we have a linkedin page a instagram facebook <laughs> so any of those um but and all that is on our website You can also email bba.org if you want a more specific, you know, have a more specific question as to whether you'd be able to be a member or whether you want to contribute, et cetera. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, so this was an awesome, awesome conversation. And, and, and for folks that are going to be listening to this episode, it's going to require a little more editing than maybe some of the normal ones um, due to a lot of the delays in, in voices and different sort of internet connections. And so first off, I just want to thank everybody for having the patience to sort of sit through this. Uh, folks folks won't hear this in the audio, but there was there was lots of fuzzy robotic voices and and, uh, and and people talking over each other and uh, and not knowing it and uh, and lots of sort of delays waiting for sort of the little yellow square over the name to sort of stop highlighting so the next person could talk and so I I, I know this conversation took a little more uh, sort of uh, mental effort than maybe your, your your normal chat and so I just really appreciate everybody uh, sticking through it not quitting um, uh, and and do know that uh, both for 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 you three. Uh, this will sound much better than it did for us. Uh, and for the folks listening, just know that uh, we have a, a lot of uh, dedicated 
passionate folks here that uh, that 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 really really kind of plowed through um, our, our internet bandwidth issues. Um, I want to thank all three of you for coming on the podcast. Um, I'm going to be sharing obviously everything you folks talked about in terms of links and organizations and contacts and websites and all those things in the show notes. So folks will have lots and lots of sort of resources if they want to start learning more about, uh, you know, AB and the Caribbean and providing services for, for autistic folks and so on and so forth um, in, in these areas. And certainly if there's lots of folks, I'm sure there's lots of folks listening that, you know, may just have a, a connection to the, to the, Caribbean. In fact, I have a, a BCBA supervisee right now that uh, his family is actually from from Barbados. So I'm, I'm uh, actually looking forward to my next supervision session with him because I'll have a lot more things to talk about and a lot of questions to ask him about sort of his experiences um, and maybe suggest that he might even want to join. Um, so, so, so thanks, thanks again to the three of you for coming on, and uh, you know, and uh, hopefully we, hopefully folks check you out at ABAI, and hopefully folks check out the website and join up, or just connect with you folks to learn more. And uh, I hope uh, we can have uh, you know an updated conversation down the road. And thank you so much for having us. It's been a really insightful conversation. Yes, and kudos to you, Ben, for having this space for people to talk. Um, I, I love that you have such a wide variety of speakers coming in and topics. So I really think it's amazing what you're doing with the Behaviors for You podcast too. It's great work. Thank you so much. That would be wonderful. Having us and please do connect with us. And yeah, we, uh, we're we going to keep working. So we're happy to keep talking about the work we're doing in our different areas. So 